Our second scripture reading is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3 and chapter 7. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, to your servant's ears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity in Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you, uh, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what, what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah, and they serve the Lord only. The word of the Lord. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. 
And the first little pig was lazy. And so he quickly built a house out of straw. And then he laid down to play. Second little pig wanted to have fun. So he quickly gathered some sticks, made a house as quickly as he could so that he could dance and sing and do whatever he wanted. The third little pig realized that he needed a better plan. He found that bricks were one of the strongest ways to build a house. And so he got bricks and slowly, day after day, he built his house and took a long time building up a brick house. Along came a big bad wolf. The big bad wolf, seeing the first little pig, said, dinner. The little pig ran into his straw house, and the wolf came and huffed and puffed and blew the house down and gobbled up the pig. Along came the second pig who saw the wolf and ran to his house inside of his sticks, and the wolf came and huffed and puffed and blew the house down and gobbled up the second little pig. Now, when the wolf saw the third little pig, the third little pig ran inside of his brick house. The wolf came along and huffed and puffed and huffed and puffed and puffed and huffed, and nothing happened. So the wolf decided to climb into the chimney, and he climbs down the chimney, but the pig that was inside had started a fire and a boiling cauldron, and the wolf fell into it, and the pig boiled the wolf and had him for dinner. The moral of the story, of course, is that hard work and perseverance pay off. Build your life right, and you'll be safe, and you'll be happy. I, I want to just talk to middle school and high school students for a little bit here. Um, so it's been two weeks now for most of you, right? Two weeks. And um, you've probably already had a test. You've probably had at least a project assigned. You've been doing a lot of homework, or at least some of you have. You've had practices, probably club meetings, and a lot of work. And you kind of wonder, two weeks in, are you done yet? Are you kind of ready for the year to be over? I think sometimes you start off with a little bit of excitement, but then literally two or three weeks in, you're already worn out. Do I have to keep this up for another 170 days? Really? And then what happens when you have a conversation with an adult that's not your parent? You know what they do? They ask you about what you're doing, don't they? Hey, what are you up to? And the answer has to be something like you named your sports or your extracurricular activities. They might ask you about school, in which case you have to produce some sort of, oh, I like my English class. And if you're a little older, if you're 16, 17, they're going to ask you about college. The implication, even if uh, an adult doesn't ask you, is what are you doing with your life? What do you want to be? Where do you want to go to college? And if you have just started middle school, maybe you don't feel this yet, but by the time you're in middle or late end of high school, you feel the need to have a plan. The pressure, the stress, where are you going? Where's it all going? I don't know if any of you have ever felt this, if you're 15, 16, 17, or younger. The question that I want to ask you guys, the same group of middle school and high school kids that are in this room, is how do you define success? What is your goal 
What are you after in life? What is important to you? Think about that. I'm serious, okay? What's important to you? Is it college? A good college? Being successful in your career down the line? Making money? If you're going to have the plan for life, is it something different, like just being popular and famous? Being known? Being influential? You play it out now what you're dreaming of down the line. There's a word that uh, we've hit on before here, and it's kind of a funny Hebrew word, but I'm going to bring it up because it, it's going to come up in some of the readings that we're doing. It's the word kavod. Okay, so the word kavod means honor or glory. Most often, if you read the Bible, it's a word that's translated glory or sometimes honor. But at its root, there's a Hebrew idea that has to do with something that's heavy or weighty. Weighty, heavy, lasting. Kavod. Okay? And the imagery, and I've shown this image before if you haven't seen it before, is the difference between an oil tanker and a canoe. One of these has glory, the other does not. One of these represents kavod, is immovable, the, the mover, the other one is not. In a head-on collision, one of these will win. And if I were to ask you guys, what are you after? You might say different things. I want to be good at sports. I want to be known for my music. I want to get straight A's. I want to get into this college. I just want to be popular. I want to have more likes on this post. You'll have different things that you identify. But what we're all after and what we all want, whether you're 13 or 63, is we want to matter. It's why we strive to make the team. It's why you want to win the game. It's why you're trying to get A's or get into college. We are desperate to be weighty. We are desperate to be lasting. We want to be the kind of person that matters. The Bible, of course, defines success and what matters differently than most of us do. So we're going to look for a little bit at the story of Samuel's calling and how his calling, God's judgment on the house of Eli, ends up giving us a different picture of what it is to be weighty. So in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, we read, Now the young man, or boy, depending on the translation, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent visions. Now the young man, Samuel, is ministering to the Lord. I don't know if any of you guys have ever had a friend who is really successful at a young age. So Dave, my friend Dave, in seventh grade was already being mentioned by scouts in the major leagues. Andrew, Andrew in the third grade, he had mathematical pi memorized to the 200th digit. Why? Because that was fun. By eighth grade, Andrew had outpaced all the math that was available, and he was just serving as a teacher's assistant for algebra classes in eighth grade. Can you imagine if Katie Ledecky was in your high school, and she comes back with her, her gold medals from the previous Olympics? Oh, yeah, she's just in my Spanish class, right? 
young and haven't already done amazing things. I remember when we first had kids, we were visiting with some family friends, and one of our kids was, I don't know, 12, 14 months and was already talking, which was, oh, it's amazing, right? Well, this one gentleman, Jerry, he said very, very earnestly to Sarah, I mean, he said, have you ever thought of, of having this baby tested? I mean, brilliance. And, you know, as, as parents who buy into that pretty quickly said, well, do you think we should? And then he started laughing at us. <laughs> he said, every parent thinks their kid's gifted. <laughs> they all think that their little baby is brilliant. And if you right now are in middle school or high school, you probably are trying to find that brilliant side of you if you haven't already. Nearly every one of you in this room has been in something that's advanced or AP or honors or travel or select, whether it's music or sports or grades. You've got to be amazing. That's how we define what it is to succeed. Well, if you were to translate how we picture succeeding, right, if you're a 14-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 12-year-old and what it means to be successful at your young age, Samuel had all of that in his day and age. Samuel, the young man, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about how Samuel, when he was a preschooler, a preschooler began serving in the temple. So he was working as a priest, as a preschooler. He grew up around the temple in Israel in the ancient world. And according to this word that is either translated young man or boy, he's now somewhere between the age of 5 and 30. 5 and 30. It's a wide range. But most indications are that he's actually a teenager to in somewhere in his early 20s because he is serving in the temple and he's serving under Eli, the high priest. Now, in that ancient world, the high priest was the closest equivalent to the president. Serving in the temple was like having an internship at the White House. Here is Samuel, who's a teenager, who's already working directly with the president and has an internship at the White House. Eli is the most powerful man in the entire nation. And Samuel's the kid who works with him. In other words, both Eli, at the end of his career, who's an old man, and Samuel, who's a teenager, are about as important and successful as you could possibly be. And yet, neither of them seem to know God when he calls. Neither of them seem to recognize when God calls them. Look at the story that we had read just a few minutes ago, starting in verse 2. Now, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. But he ran to Eli and said to Eli, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Lie down again. He went and lay down. The Lord called again a second time, Samuel. And Samuel rose, ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Lie down again. Now here's the problem. Verse 7 tells us, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord 
had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel had done all this religious stuff for years. How did he not know God? How is it that you could grow up in the church, literally living in the church, and not know God? Could you grow up with parents who are Christians and not know God? Grow up being taken to Sunday school and youth group and church activities and not know God? The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. You need to know God as he has been revealed in Scripture and in his Son. And you need to know God. He did not yet know God. That word know is one of two words that could be used for that gets translated know. One of the words means know something like you know math or you know Spanish. The other is to know personally and intimately. It's actually used of sexual relationships. It's to know somebody like a best friend. Like, oh yeah, I know him. I know what makes him laugh and what makes him angry. He's your best friend. Samuel did not yet have a relationship with God. So it's not enough to be incredibly successful and talented and have all the connections and the right job. You need a relationship with God. Question, are you guys, think about it, I'm mostly talking to middle school and high school kids right now, are you a rule follower or a rule breaker? A rule follower or a rule breaker? My guess is, if you're from Northern Virginia or have lived here more than five years, you are a rule follower. Here's why I say that. I've had uh, two opportunities to go with a group of sixth graders on a week-long camp trip with Louise Archer. And both times I observed something that jumped out at me. And this is what it is. And if you're a sixth grader or you ever were, you know this, especially if you've done it recently, teachers are constantly telling you what to do. It's almost like that's all they live for, is to tell you what to do, and usually that means what not to do. Literally, the teachers were telling them how to hold a plate, how to hold a fork, and how to then put their plate away. And then they kept doing that the entire week. They were telling them what to do. And kids in sixth grade, the groups that I had were all good rule followers. In fact, they were so worried, almost more worried than anything, about getting in trouble, or rather not getting in trouble. And it was over the littlest things. And they were constantly jumping on each other. You know you're going to get in trouble for that. Or disassociating themselves. I have nothing to do with this. And while there's some version of growing out of it, I've also seen high schoolers who are basically rule followers as well. Two different times I've been at a high school football game when there was a significant victory. And the student cheering section was really excited this is just in the past two years. And they're ready to storm the field as you do when there's a big victory. And they all lined up at the fence and waited for the teachers and administrators to open the gate, to tell them it was now time to storm the field. <laughs> I've never seen that in my life. Now, in many ways, look, this is good. Because nobody's killing themselves or each other in the process. The referees are able to get off the field. But it probably means that most of us in this room, and especially those of you who are younger, are rule followers. 
And you've learned. If you want success in this life, you need to work hard, follow the rules, do what you're supposed to do, and it will pay off. Build your life out of bricks, not straw, not sticks. Eli, Eli, the high priest, the old man, if there was any such thing as rules or plans for success in that day and age, Eli had it all in the ancient Israel world. You see, today what matters is what you've accomplished. Back then it didn't matter. What mattered was whose son you were, your family name, your lineage and heritage. Well, Eli was the son of a line of high priests. So it's like his dad was, was president and his great-grandfather was president, his great-great-grandfather, so he gets to be president. So it didn't matter how smart or dumb he was, how athletic he was, how good-looking, he was going to be high priest. He had what mattered, which is the right name. And on top of that, he really had done decades of service. He served in the temple, offering sacrifices to enable the people to worship God. He was the most powerful and influential man in the entire nation. If there were any such thing as rules for success in that day and age, he had it. His sons, on the other hand, were very different. They were actually rule breakers. Now, I don't know if you guys, or any of you, are rule breakers or if you know them. I, one of my favorite questions to ask an elementary school kid is, what kid gets most in trouble in your class? They always name somebody. They always have somebody in mind who's the one who always gets in trouble. Who are the rule breakers that you know? Well, in my high school viewpoint from 30, 20 years ago, the rule breakers were either the heavy metal kids or the party crowd. Now, if you don't, those don't fully exist today, but heavy metal kids were those who listened to bands with names like Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer. They had t-shirts that portrayed skeletons and death and really evil looking black scary t-shirts with the names of their bands on them and, and they smoked cigarettes. Rule breakers. And then it was the party crowd, the cool kids who got wasted and were sexually active. And whether you were heavy metal or party crowd, I knew, I knew you were out. If there was a hell, you were there. You were not religious, and you didn't do your homework, and you didn't look the part. Ahafni and Phineas didn't look the part either. They, according to the passage that was the chapter before, they, they used to steal the food that was, the, the lambs and the meat that was supposed to be sacrificed to God, they would steal it and gorge themselves on it. They were gluttons. And they would force the women who served in the temple and around the temple to have sex with them. These were the sons of Eli. They were also high priests, and they abused their power for their own good. They broke all the rules. And so judgment falls on them as it should have. In verse 23, 25, and 34 of chapter 2, we read, First, Eli warns them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. And then Eli, the, the father, warns them again, If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. 
And then in verse 34, it's the Lord speaking and says, And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. The judgment of God was that they deserved death with their disregard of God and his ways. They were rule breakers and they deserved death. That is actually easier for most of us to buy into. The hard part, or harder, is that judgment falls on Eli and his whole house as well. In chapter 3, the word that comes to Samuel is the prophecy against Eli and the judgment against him. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. Eli was a successful high priest. By every standards of that day and age, he had it all, but it was not enough. He had sinned, as we all do, and religion, sacrifices, and offering were not enough to make him right. And in fact, the warning is seen also in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 2, in another set of verses that read, Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father would go in and out before me forever, but now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Eli and all that are associated with you, your entire family line, you will no longer be high priest. You won't even have an old man in your house. You will be forgotten. You will no longer matter. You will not have kavod. You will be light and blown away. The judgment of God falls on him. Now, if we were looking at all of them, here's what we might say. Hophni and Phinehas, who broke all the rules, and Eli, who had everything going for him, they all lived on their own terms. Rule-keeping and rule-breaking are both ways of pursuing your own goals. You can be very religious, or you can be religion-less, and both are ways to find happiness and success on your own. As Tim Keller wrote in The Prodigal God, there are two ways to be your own savior and lord. One is by breaking all the moral rules, laws, and setting your own course. And one is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. Both are ways of being our own lord. And this is the gospel. All of us are sinful and fall short. We all need a different way besides being good or being bad. We all need Jesus, right? So the Lord calls Samuel. And when he calls, God has a plan for you. Here's what the Lord says in, in, chapter, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 3. We read it first. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times. It's the fourth time. They finally get, oh, it might be the Lord. Let's go back this time. Listen. And the Lord calls Samuel, Samuel. 
So think about this. If the Lord calls you in the Bible, two things are happening. One, he has plans for you. Two, he wants you to know him. And as we've seen, as we looked at earlier, what matters for success according to God is to know and follow him. We are made to be in relationship with God. And we find life to the full only in him, not doing our own thing. But according to verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He needed that relationship with God. We talked about that. But this time, Samuel responds. And he says, speak for your servant hears. I want to know and serve you, God, he says. See, what Samuel does is he responds rightly to God. And that's really what God is asking. Of all of us, whether you're 12 or 92, when God calls, when God calls, he wants us to respond as Samuel does, with humility and willingness. And what's awesome about this passage is God is not looking at Samuel's age, he's young, his talents or his accomplishments. He's simply looking at his heart. And if you're, if you're actually in this world and you are trying to be successful and you feel the stress of that, you've got to get into the right college, you've got to perform for your team, you've got to make your parents happy, it's very freeing to know that the God of the Bible doesn't want your application. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your resume. He wants you. God chooses Samuel and says in verse 19 and 20 that Samuel grew and the Lord is with him and let none of his words fall to the ground and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. In the very next scene, it's actually a couple chapters later that I'm going to jump us to, is when Samuel is bringing his word of the Lord to Israel and it's a word to all of us as well. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you. Put away your foreign gods. So if you want to know how to have the weighty life, the worthwhile life, the brick life, start by putting away your foreign gods. And if you're here and you are actually a middle schooler, high schooler, I, I'm going to ask you, because normally I talk to parents, but what besides God do you worship? What besides God are you serving? Is it your grades? Sports? Getting into the right college? Girls, popularity, having fun. Where are you seeking happiness and success? What's really most important to you? Your parents may not know. You may not even know. God actually does know what's most important to you. He says, drop anything that is more important than this. 
repent, admit it. In verse 30, we get this insight into the ways of God. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The first three words are all kavod, glory, weightiness. For those who make me the most weighty thing, I will make them and their lives matter. But those who do not make me the most weighty thing, their lives will be a fleeting glance, and no one will care, and they will not last. If you live for the glory of God as the most weighty thing in your life, then your life will be weighty. And it doesn't matter if you grow up and never have any money, if you don't get into a good college, if you're never popular, if you're never successful by the world's standards. The thing that really matters is your heart with God. That's what makes you lasting. Nothing that we tell you. Yes, do those things. Work hard. Pursue dreams. But in the end, whether you have straight A's or straight F's, actually doesn't matter if your heart is right with God. If you're the greatest athlete, or you cannot throw a ball straight, what matters is your heart with God. But if glorifying God is not most important to you, if you are living for anything else, then the opposite is also true. Your life will be lightweight. And it doesn't matter what you accomplish. I don't care how great you are at sports, how phenomenal your grades are, what college you get into, or what kind of career trajectory you are on, your life will be a pile of straw, and it will not last. It doesn't matter. It will be blown away. Poof. Samuel calls us to the thing that he was called to, direct your heart to the Lord, he says. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. You can do this when you're 13. Do this when you're 63. Don't mess with religion. Don't go to a youth group or church just to check it off. Don't try to be pretty good just because that'll keep you out of trouble. God wants all of you. If you don't give him your all, you don't really want him at all. But if you do give him everything, he will deliver you. Let's pray. God, the world we live in is so full of pressure and strain to perform and succeed and accomplish. And while these things are actually important, we do need to use our gifts to the best that we can. Give us the grace to hold them loosely, to open our hearts to you fully, to give over every area of our life to you, so that the one thing that is most weighty and movable is you. We are moved by you. Please name me.